0: Hello and welcome to the Value Pricing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wickersham. I'm a chartered accountant, public speaker, and value pricing expert. In fact, I'm obsessed with value pricing and helping accounting professionals get better prices, being more valuable to their clients, make more money, and of course, have more fun. That's why I've spent over two decades teaching accountants and bookkeepers how to value price their services. These episodes are recordings from my live training sessions, where I'll be teaching how to price your services, how to win more clients, and how to run a more profitable accounting firm. Today, we're going to be looking at how do you calculate price, and we're going to start off It's it's quite complex, this, but we're going to kind of start off slowly and kind of build up. But the starting point is we have to understand and be clear that there are really ultimately two ways to price. There's only two ways to price when we drill it right down, when we peel peel it back to the the basics of pricing. You may have heard of many different pricing techniques, methodologies. You may have heard of things like percentage pricing. You may have heard of dynamic pricing, demand-based pricing. Uh, Obviously, fixed pricing, time-based billing. All of those are pricing methodologies. And every pricing methodology you ever come across ultimately falls into one of two types. It's either cost-plus pricing or value pricing. And sometimes a methodology might have an element of both. It could be a hybrid of cost-plus and a bit of value pricing. Ultimately, everything drills down to that. If you have ever studied economics which I did at degree level, you'll have heard of the law of supply and demand. And essentially what that says, classical economists teach us that the equilibrium price, the market price, is where supply and demand intersect, which is a pretty flawed assumption we've learned from the world of behavioural economists. But that's essentially what classical economics teaches us. And when we think about pricing, cost plus is essentially where we add up our costs of delivering our solution, add on some sort of profit margin, and that's magically our price. And that deals with the supply side of the, the supply and demand equation. And the trouble is it's flawed. It's been, it's been proven for over 100 years ago now. The Austrian School of Economics demonstrated how crazy cost plus is. Uh, because it ignores what customers want, it ignores the demand side of the equation. And that's where value pricing comes in. Value pricing starts with the customer to find out what a customer's value, and we price based on value. Now, in our profession, the accounting profession, historically we've priced using timesheets, pricing based on the hour, and time-based billing is a form of, it's a methodology within that area of cost plus pricing. If we think about it, our hourly rates are based on, a multiple of salary costs. And we usually multiply them by three to four times because we want to factor into that our fixed costs and also our hoped for profit. So it's a form of cost plus pricing. And so hourly rates are flawed. They're flawed for so many reasons. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons right right now. I just want to mention a couple. The, The main reasons are customers hate it. Customers want to know right up front what the price is going to be. And so we, if for no other reason, because customers hate it, we should stop doing hourly rates and time-based billing. We've got to move to value pricing because customers hate it. Secondly, though, we know from research that firms that move to value pricing get much higher prices and make more money. So from your point of view, you want to be moving to value pricing. It's fairer for the customer and it's better for you. Also, when we understand the psychology, if you ever quote an hourly rate, you will tend to find people say that's expensive. And that's because there's no inherent value in an hourly rate. It's also because when you give a price, people make comparisons. We learn from price psychology is that we're clueless about price, so we make comparisons with something else. And the problem with an hourly rate is whatever hourly rate yours is right now, whether it's $40 an hour or $100, $200, I can almost guarantee that when you give an hourly rate... Your client or potential client will, in their mind, they'll think of a number, somebody else that's a lower hourly rate. Perhaps the secretary they've just paid or perhaps the cleaner they've just paid. And so your hourly rate will almost always seem expensive. And so straight away you get price objections when you quote hourly rates. And so there are a whole bunch of problems with hourly rates. And so what we really want to do is move from time-based billing to value pricing. Now, part of the problem here is there's a, a misconception, a misunderstanding that some people think that fixed pricing is value pricing. And it's not. This is a big big myth in the profession. Fixed pricing is not value pricing. The way it's normally done, the way most people do fixed pricing, it's another form of cost plus pricing. And what I mean by that is when somebody tells me they use fixed pricing, when I ask what that fixed price is, usually it's a number. It might be $500 for a tax return, for example, and that number is a price that's been arrived at by estimating, based on past experience, how long the work might take. It's still a form of cost-plus pricing. However, although fixed pricing the way most people do it is a form of cost-plus pricing, it's a better way of cost-plus pricing than time-based billing, because if nothing else, at least the customer is getting a fixed price up front. Okay. So fixed pricing is not value pricing. What we really want to do is move to value pricing. The trouble is, the problem is value pricing is not easy. It takes a long time to master it and get the the amazing results you can. It takes time, particularly for certain types of services. If we're talking about things that are higher up on the value curve, if we're talking about business consulting, if we're talking about tax planning, if we're talking about helping a client sell their business, then with those highly valuable services value pricing is a little bit easier because although value itself is subjective we can't touch it we can't feel it we can't measure it and sometimes it's hard to value if we can't put a number on value how do we come up with a value-based price but at least when we use when we're looking at high-value services like tax planning, like consulting work, there's very often techniques we can use to put an estimate on the value. It might be the quantum of the tax savings, or it might be how much we, can think, that we think the client can improve their profits by if it's consulting work or business advisory. It might be how much we, can, we think the client will get from selling their business if we're helping them with business sales. So when we're talking about the high-end stuff, the high-value services, value pricing does get a little bit easier... Because sometimes we can put a number on value. Where it gets particularly hard is compliance work. Because how do you put value on doing someone's tax return, or doing the bookkeeping, or doing the end-of-year financial statements? Compliance work tends to be the hardest to value price. In fact, some commentators would say, you can't value price compliance work. Now, that's complete rubbish, because you can. Because ultimately, you can value price anything where there's value. If there's value to what you do, you can value price it. The only things you can't value price is a commodity. Some people might say, yeah, but payroll's a commodity. Bookkeeping's a commodity. Bookkeeping's only a commodity if you think of it as a commodity. Ultimately, everything you do can be differentiated. If it can be differentiated and made different to everybody else's, it's not a commodity. It's only a commodity if you're thinking of it that way. So we definitely can value price Compliance services like bookkeeping, payroll, tax returns, annual financial statements. However, here's the challenge. The challenge is when it comes to value pricing, there's no such thing as a formula. There's no formula, magic formula for value pricing. Because value itself is subjective. Everybody values things differently. And so when we value pricing, it's more of a feeling. We're using judgment. And that's what people find hard with value pricing. The other problem is is that for compliance services like bookkeeping, for example, payroll, tax returns, it's a big step to move from the traditional hourly rates to moving to value pricing. It's it's, It's a hard jump. And so what I recommend is that rather than trying to go from being hourly rates for compliance work to moving to value pricing in one go, which is destined for failure because it's hard to do. I prefer to teach it in baby steps to get there one step at a time as we start to make this change. And when it comes to compliance services, and, and if it's okay with you, I'll use bookkeeping as the main example, but it's the same with annual financial statements. It's the same with tax returns. With most of compliance services, the biggest challenge If you have been pricing based on the hour, cost plus pricing, hourly pricing, hourly rates, if you've been pricing that way, the reason why it's so hard to start giving a fixed price up front is because we're worried that... We don't know how much work's involved, and therefore we might give a fixed price that's too low. It ends up taking longer to do the work, and so we end up making a loss on the job. And that's why, particularly for compliance work, bookkeeping, a lot of people stick with hourly rates. Which is a shame, because the research shows over and over again that people that make this move to fixed pricing and then ultimately value pricing get better prices, make more money. So, what we're going to base today on, most of today's session, is... Let's get you over that first hurdle of moving from hourly rates to giving a fixed price up front, which is not value pricing. However, it's probably the hardest step for compliance work. The hardest step is to make the leap from billing based on how long the work takes to giving that fixed price up front. Once you've managed to make that leap and give a fixed price up front, then we can start to add layers on and build our value pricing. We can start to build in the value pricing techniques. They become much easier once we've got that starting point of a fixed price. So step one is the first thing we wanna do as part of coming up with this this fixed price is we wanna make sure we factor in scope because scope's the big issue. How long will the job take? What, What work's involved? We need to start to understand the scope of the work so that from that scope, we can come up with a price. And so there's two, really, two parts to it. We've got to come up with what are the right questions, what is the scope, and also we then have to turn that, the answers to those questions into uh, a price. How do we come up with a price? And what I'm going to give you is a formula. Now, you know, I know you're thinking, Mark, you've just contradicted yourself. I said earlier, value pricing is not a formula. It's not. It's a feeling. It's a judgment. And that's absolutely correct. But if we're talking about compliance work, we've got this first hurdle to get over, which is moving towards fixed pricing. And we can create a formula for that. We can have a formula for giving a fixed price. It's a cost plus formula. It's cost plus still. But it's the hardest bit. If we can get to that point, if we can get to the stage where we're confident we can give a fixed price up front because we have a formula, then it's much easier to add on the layers to then move to value pricing. So let's go through. What, what you want to be doing is, firstly, the first step in your process is, and this is the same, whether it's bookkeeping, tax returns, whatever, you have to decide what's the scope, what, what are the factors that impact on scope. With every service there's usually a primary scope question, a primary scope issue, for example annual financial statements, it might be the size of the business in terms of annual sales. For tax returns, it might be the number of different sources of income. For payroll, it might be the number of employees. For bookkeeping, it might be the number of transactions. There's going to be something that's the most important scope question. I call it the primary scope question. It's the thing that more than anything else will predict how much work is involved. Now, that might sound easy, but it's not always as straightforward as it as it first sounds. I would suggest that for payroll, a number of employees is probably the, the right primary scope question. For bookkeeping, though, it could be a number of different things. It could be that you find that bookkeeping is based on the number of total transactions for the business you might find the number of sales invoices raised or the purchase invoices it could even be for example some people i I know price their bookkeeping based on annual revenue of the business which is one way of looking at it so just the bigger the business the bigger the the fee is Uh, and therefore we're using annual sales or annual revenue of the business as an approximation for the amount of work involved so we may find that when we're trying to do this analysis and trying to work out what the price should be and what the scope questions are, we might come up with three or four different possible scope questions. And so let's say we have, let's imagine that for bookkeeping, you've come up with, uh, with perhaps it could be the number, of, the number of sales invoices, or it could be the total transactions. And you want to know which is the best predictor of what the price should be. So what we do is we do something called regression analysis. Now, this might sound complex and complicated, but fortunately, systems like Excel make this much easier for us. Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, and of course, we're not done yet. But before we continue, if you're looking for more free training and help, here are three things you can do. First, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me you listen to my podcast and I'll send you some links to some free resources. Next, be sure to visit my YouTube channel containing hundreds of training videos. Hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified when I upload new content. And join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham, and be part of a community of accounting professionals getting better at pricing. Okay, let's continue. And so what we want to do is we want to analyse, based on our experience, our current client base. The way you might start with this is look at a random sample of 10, 12, 15 clients, a range of different size clients. And what we want to do is start to look at what do we charge these clients historically? What's the price? Well, what should the price be based on our current knowledge? And then let's identify for that client the answer to the various scope questions so you might have a client that you normally charge let's say six thousand dollars six thousand pounds whatever it is six thousand and that client happens to have typically 300 bank transactions a month or year whichever it doesn't matter whatever you want to measure it by it may be that they have 420 purchase invoices on average they may have 700 total transactions they might raise 200 sales invoices So what we can do is we can take our different scope questions, our primary scope questions, the possible ones, and record the data for that client. Both the price, we know from our experience, the price should be, and the numbers. And then what we can do is we can plot a series of graphs. This is called regression analysis, where we plot the price against whatever that thing we're measuring. It could be the number of bank transactions, the number of sales invoices, and so on. And what we want to do with that is plot a line called the line of best fit. Okay, it's a straight line. Typically, you'll usually want to use a straight line. It's a straight line that looks at what line best fits that data. And with that line, you can then measure two really important useful things. You can measure what's called the R squared number. Now, the R squared number is simply how good does that line predict the data, And it's always a number between 0 and 1. The closer to 1, the better. If it's about 0.8, 0.9, it's a fairly good predictor. If it's more like 0.3, 0.4, it's not a good predictor. So the reason why you might look at different possible primary scope questions is we can plot this data and we can identify, well, which is the one that is the closest fit? Because what we're trying to do is come up with... framework a formula a predictive formula that we then know going forward based on experience let's say we choose total transactions if that's the line of best fit it means that in future if we want to give a fixed price we can ask a potential client how many transactions or we can do the analysis how many transactions do they have in a typical month and we use that to give the price if you've got a fairly good line of fit that will give you a good indicator of the scope and what the price should be however we need to go another step further. So that's a good starting point, but there are other things that will affect the scope of the work. And so what we need to do is identify what are the secondary scope questions? What are the other things that might impact on the amount of work involved? If we're talking about bookkeeping, It could be how many bank accounts do they have. It could be what business are they in. It could be whether or not they're registered for sales tax. It could be uh, whether they have credit cards or not. Whether or not they have payroll journals that want posting. It could be a whole bunch of things. So think about and brainstorm, well, what other scope questions are there? What other things impact on the scope of the work? They would be your secondary scope questions. There'll always be one Sometimes two, and by the way, with this analysis, we can do you can do what's called multivariable regression analysis. Uh, that might be where you've actually identified two primary scope questions. But that's rare. Most of the time, it's one. And with some services like payroll, it's pretty clear. It's number of employees. But identify then the secondary scope questions. And what we then do is once we've decided... Based on our initial piece of analysis, which doesn't take long to do, we can chunk the numbers into an Excel spreadsheet, get Excel to do the hard work, the number crunching, give us the the formula and the R-squared number. Once we've chosen which one it is, let's say we want to go with the total number of transactions, and that's perhaps the one that's giving the best fit. What we can then do from that is we can start to look at our data, the clients that we've pulled together, and we can see which ones are the outliers Which of our clients are furthest away from the line? And for those that are furthest away from the line, we need to think about those clients. Just look at the clients and think, so why is the price for this client more than that line would suggest it is? Or why is it less? And what you do is you look at your clients. You look at each client, all the ones that are furthest away, and you start to identify what the possible reason could be. So this bit takes a little bit more time. It's a, You need to explore your clients. And it may be you've identified, well, this client we normally charge a bit more because... They are in the construction industry, and we tend to find the construction inter- industry is challenging. Or you might find this client we charge less, and the reason for that is because they're not registered for sales tax, and therefore there's less work involved. We don't have to start posting with the bookkeeping the uh, the rate of sales tax. There's no net or gross; it's just a single price, a single transaction. It may be that another client is a higher price because they have 15 different bank accounts. Perhaps they're a firm of lawyers with client accounts. So we start to identify what are the clients from a historical analysis of looking at our client base which the clients where the price isn't closely predicted by the primary scope question and what we do is we analyze that and we come up with some conclusions and we might decide for example that it may be that some clients need to be a higher price because you've identified they're on a desktop accounting system and therefore there's more work for desktop and you might decide that looking at your data that those clients you typically charge about 35 percent more So we might assign 35% as the extra price to a client that's on a desktop accounting system. It might be that if they don't have a sales ledger because they're a cash business like retail or or the bars and restaurants, you might decide from your experience that's a little bit easier because rather than posting sales invoices and doing an accounts receivable or sales ledger, you just simply post weekly cash takings, for example. So they might be less and you might find that actually those clients you can charge a little bit less than what their number of transactions might suggest so we do the analysis on a client by client basis by looking at the ones that are first away the ones that are first away from that line and having done that what we can then do is for our existing clients the final kind of step in the process is we can take our clients and we can say for each of those of those secondary scope questions which ones apply to which of those clients And so it may be that one client, client A, might be a higher price because A, they're on a desktop accounting system, and B, they also have lots of -of out-of-pocket expenses, which are always a pain to account for. And it may be identified that for a desktop accounting system, you have to put the price up by 35%, and for out-of-pocket expenses, which creates more work, you might decide that should be about 25% more. And what you can then do very easily, is, having then done that, is you can plug the revised prices back into your regression analysis. In other words, when you factor in the secondary scope questions, you end up with a line that's then, hopefully, a much, much closer fit with a higher R squared number. And once you've got to a number that's in the the 0.9 and upwards... Now, you won't get one. You'll never get a perfect fit. Our goal is not to get a perfect fit. If you want a perfect fit, charge based on the hour. But that's an imperfect system anyway for all sorts of reasons. We want to give the client a fixed price up front, but one that we know from our experience will predict what the scope is. And the great thing about doing this analysis using regression analysis is that that line of best fit, you can then get a formula from that. And once you have that formula... That means that going forward, every time that you see a brand new client, you can simply plug in what is the answer to the primary scope question. It might be 325 transactions a month. And then we identify from the secondary scope questions which ones apply. Do they have a desktop system? If yes, that's going to adjust the price a little bit. And so we do that, and you will find that nine times out of ten, probably even more than that, every time you give a fixed price up front, it's almost certain that fixed price will give you a profit. There may be the odd case where you do the analysis or you have a client that's got something particularly different about them that you don't realize until too late. Sometimes when you give a fixed price up front, you will make a mess either because of you've analyzed it wrong, the scope, or you've, you've just simply didn't think about something and that creates more work. That's fine, we just change the system. We fix the system going forward. But more often than not, you will have confidence that you will make a profit. So, what we've done in calculating our price is we've used regression analysis, we've looked at the past, we've looked at our clients, and we've looked at the fees that we know we should charge our clients against whatever the primary scope question is. And then we've looked at Look at the outliers to see how much we need to adjust it up or down based on other secondary scope questions. This gives us a formula. This is kind of the thing this, this formula then gives you the confidence to give you the fixed price up front. But remember, this fixed price is still a cost plus price. Okay? It's still our formula is based on experience, based on our client base. Our formula means we can we can use our past pricing as a way to give and predict a fixed price up front, to predict the scope of work with a fair degree of accuracy. We're not at value pricing, though. So let's make that very clear. We've, all we've done is we've gone over that first hurdle of moving away from hourly rates to giving a fixed price up front, something we can do with confidence that we will always, get a, we will always make a profit on the deal. Now that we've got to this point, moving to value pricing is relatively easy. So what I want to do is talk through now, what are some of the little layers that you want to build onto that? And the first layer that you want to build on, and I always call this the first step towards value pricing. The first thing that you can do, which is relatively easy to implement, but also incredibly powerful, is then to recognize that different people value things differently. So you give people choices, and the easiest way to do that is to use menu pricing we come up with three choices, three, pa- three packages. Our bronze, silver, gold. Our bronze payroll, our silver payroll, our gold payroll. All the same with bookkeeping. Whatever it happens to be, we give the client three choices. And our entry level, or our cheapest one, or our bronze one, that price might be determined for, by our formula. But what we then do is we add value. We add more things into our more expensive packages, and then we price those based on our perception our best guess our judgment as to what is the value of those extra things we've put into the middle and most expensive options now at this point we should definitely not be doing any form of cost plus now we want to use some judgment but what happens what's interesting is customers will buy the package based on their perception of value so what will happen is over time when you use menu pricing you'll start to learn if you find for example with bookkeeping that 70% of your clients are choosing the middle option and 15% are choosing the top one, in other words, 85% are buying the middle or the top one, that's telling you that they value the things that are in the middle and the top one. And the more you get that feedback, the more we can start to change our prices, test our prices, increase our prices, not based on time, not based on cost, because that's irrelevant, but we start to become more confident that if we're good at giving different choices, if we're good at building the value of those choices, our clients will tell us what they value by choosing the appropriate options. So by adding in menu pricing, we're starting to move towards value pricing. Now, some more layers that we can build in. We can also build in what I call preference questions. And what I mean by that is menu pricing is very powerful, it works incredibly well. Most people that I teach it, and I've been teaching it now for about uh, almost 20 years, firms tell me they've increased their prices by, on average, 20% or more using menu pricing. It's incredibly powerful. But there's so much more we can do because the one problem with menu pricing is we are still only giving them three choices, okay? And so there's always a chance that none of those three choices, those three price points, are, are exactly on the money of where they're the most they're willing to pay. So we can take our value pricing to another level by bringing, building in preference questions. That's where we give people choices outside of the different packages. We might give them a choice, for example, if it's bookkeeping, is of do you want your bookkeeping done weekly or monthly or quarterly? And let the client choose based on their perception of value. What do they want? If they want weekly, they can have weekly but you flex the price accordingly. If they want weekly bookkeeping, there's more work as well, but also there's more value because they get the numbers accurate every single week as opposed to every single month or every single quarter. There's more value. So you should absolutely charge a higher price for weekly bookkeeping versus monthly. But the important thing is the client gets to choose. You let the client choose And they will choose based on their perception of value. So we can build in another layer of complexity, if you like, uh, of sophistication with our pricing by building in further choice through preference questions, through options. What we can also then do is another layer that we can build in is we can start building an upsell. In other words, when a client then says, yes, I want the middle package and I'm happy with that price, we don't stop there. We now offer enhancements. We give them some choices of things that we've carefully thought through that enhance the experience, enhance what they're buying. It could be that they get some additional reports, for example. It could be they get some training thrown in if they want that. We give them the upsell. Upselling is really, really important because if you don't don't offer an upsell, they can't pay you any more money. But if you do have an upsell, you won't lose the sale. You've made the sale at this point in time. But what happens is those people who are willing to pay a higher price... It may be that the price you've agreed, that person might have paid you more money. But when you give a reveal and upsell, if they see value in the enhancement that gives, then they can choose that. So some people will choose to buy the additional things. That's another layer that we can build on in value pricing as we move to value pricing. Ultimately, what we want to do is move towards something which I call optimal pricing. Essentially, our goal here is when we're pricing, everybody has... Subconsciously in their mind, a number they're willing to pay. The economists call it the buyer's reservation price. Another more commonly used term is the maximum willingness to pay. Everybody has a maximum willingness to pay. And your goal is to figure that out and get your price as close to that as possible. Because to the extent that your price is lower than that, you've left money on the table. If your client would be willing to pay you $6,000 a year for your bookkeeping service and you priced it at $4,000, then they're going to say yes to that, but they would have paid you more money. And our goal is to price it based on their perception of value. And that's, how, that's why we build in things like menu pricing. That's why we build in things like options. That's why we build in things like the upsell process. And ultimately, where you want to get to with your value pricing is you wanna make sure that every single time you agree the price with the client in a meeting. You must have the price conversation with the client face-to-face, because when you're having it face-to-face, then what happens is you can work with the client. The way the psychology works is that the more involved a client is, a customer is in the buying process, the more they spend. When you give them more choices, people spend more money. There's also greater credibility and trust in your pricing if it's transparent. If they can see in the meeting how your price is being arrived at and how it's changing, People are more likely to have trust, credibility, and again, they're more willing to buy and buy at higher prices. And that's why it's critical to have a process that enables you to give a fixed price with confidence in a meeting. And that's why you would need something like, for compliance services, a software tool or an Excel spreadsheet to be able to do that. Because with compliance services, particularly complex services like cleanup work and bookkeeping, our minds just can't compute all the different scenarios but once we've got it into a formula a structure a piece of software we can sit with the client we can involve them in the the process we can give them choices and they pick the things they want the price goes up and up and up we reveal the price if the price is too expensive Rather than missing out on the sale, which you would do if you simply sent a proposal through the post or through the mail or by email, by involving the client in the the process, if the price is too high, you can work with the client to change the package, to change some of their choices until you arrive at a price that they are happy and willing to pay. That's the process for how we calculate a price. The starting point is we want to calculate a price, a fixed price, to make sure we make a profit on the deal. But then, as we, once we've done that, once we've cracked that, we can start to then add in the various layers for turning into a value-based price. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you want to learn more about value pricing, you can join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. It's a community of thousands of accounting professionals if you want to take things to another level, you can enroll in the Value Pricing Academy or one of my other academies. Find out more when you head to www.wickersham.co.uk. Members of the Value Pricing Academy learn how to price better, how to master business advisory and how to build more successful and enjoyable accounting firms. I'll be back soon with another episode of of the Value Pricing Podcast. See you soon.